Hey there, Fat Guy Forum fans. This is Gourmet with a quick note before we get the episode started. I have something exciting to tell you about. We have launched the Fat Guy Forum Patreon. That's right. You can now become a monthly supporter of the show for just a few dollars, less than a cup of coffee a month. You can support keeping these amazing dude stories coming to you. And there's even a bonus at one of the tiers that I think is going to be very exciting. I have some great ideas to come to as we develop this, but I wanted to get it launched and in your hands. So if you enjoy what you hear on this show and you want to help me to keep it coming to you, please go over to that link in the show notes, and that is patreon.com slash keto. Thank you so much, my friends, and on to the show. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fat Guy Forum. This is your host, Gourmet, and I am here today with someone who I, I actually recorded with before, and through some technical challenges, that episode is, is lost to the wind. Uh, so hopefully um, we'll recreate the magic that we had during our first conversation today. I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we will. Um, you even, he's even been through some things since we last recorded. So I appreciate him being with us here today and being willing to, to jump in and record again. Uh, his name is is Michael Mike McCain. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm glad we're getting to... Yeah, I, I normally say I'm glad I'm finally getting to sit down with someone. Um, I'm glad we're getting to sit down again, I guess is a better way to put it. So we will we, we'll skip through all the pleasantries and get right to it, man. Tell the audience listening... <laughs> What qualifies you to be on the Fat Guy Forum? I think the biggest thing that that qualifies me uh, to be on the Fat Guy Forum, uh, Mike, is that uh, I've just come to realize in the last four years that uh, that I've had a food addiction uh, for most of my life, and um, I'm starting to notice how prevalent uh, food addiction is, especially in our society with. Um, the foods that we eat and the, the ingredients that are in foods uh, and things like that. And um, what's really interesting is, like I said, in the last four years, I've started to realize this. I, I grew up in a family that uh, didn't know a lot about nutrition. And um, I found solace pretty, pretty early in life in, in finding uh, security, I guess, and solace in uh, eating. And uh, I didn't understand that until about three or four years ago until I went to... Um, uh, rehab for painkiller addiction and uh, it kind of came full circle within the last uh, three or four years once I realized and came to that uh, understanding that I legitimately had an addiction uh, to sugar and addiction to food um, I think that's I think that's really when my life really changed so I think the biggest thing that that qualifies me for it I might not have gotten up you know to 400 500 pounds or whatever but I, I know how it feels to be a slave uh, to food. I know how it feels to uh, be a slave to emotional eating um, and that. And it just, it's something that has changed my life incredibly. And and so I've started to reach out to people, especially in the last six months, uh, like you and, and a few others that say, hey, I would love to tell my story and how food addiction um, and overcoming that has, has changed my life. So I think the biggest thing is just that food addiction. I mean, I think it's it runs, I, the thing that I've learned too since we've last chatted before is that, um, <laughs> which really blows my mind, is that I was a sugar addict before I became a painkiller addict. And, um, and I just traded one addiction for the next. And 
I, I cannot even express to you, Mike, how my eyes were opened uh, in rehab. Um, as, but I didn't even realize it when I was in rehab because I was focused on the painkiller addiction. And it wasn't until years later, two or three years later after I went to rehab, that I had to face that, that other addiction. And it was probably harder than rehab uh, or painkiller addiction. Well, let's say, because I think the stories of your addictions are, are, like you're saying, are very intertwined. Like, let's let's take people into what your life was like before you even got into, you know, went to rehab for, for painkiller addiction. Right. Um, I remember uh, as a young kid, and I think I was in third or fourth grade, and um, I remember coming home from uh, from school one time in the... the uh, it was actually a Bible school in the summer, but I remember coming home and it was about three o'clock in the afternoon and I saw a couple of police cars in our driveway and we had a, we had foster kids that lived with us and, uh, I don't think they'll ever listen to this. So I'm just going to say they were little hellions and, uh, they were pretty rebellious and they were older teenagers and stuff like that. And, uh, a couple of them got taken out of our, our house and, uh, they tried to get my dad for, um, for child abuse and a few other things. And I mean, it was a horrifying experience. And I, the reason why I share that with you is because, again, the last two or three years learning about food addiction um, and, and sugar addiction, that sort of thing, that was when I looked back at my pictures and, start see, and started to see that I was gaining weight, that I was eating a lot, that I was finding that comfort in, in eating. Because of my up to my third and fourth grade years, I was a normal looking kid, you know, I was skinny, running around all the time, really didn't. This might sound really corny, but I remember as a really young kid before I even started kindergarten, I remember um, my dad and I all by ourselves coming home from a vacation and he stops at, at a restaurant and we get this cheeseburger and I could only eat about half of the cheeseburger and I was just stuffed and just felt disgusted, you know, well, you fast forward that, you know, to like whatever, five or six years later in, in third or fourth grade and I ended up... Um, like I could, it, it couldn't stop. I just kept eating. Right. And so I started to figure out, um, at that age, looking back at it now, I didn't know at the time, psychologically, I didn't know the time, but I started looking back at that now and going, Holy smokes, I started gaining really bad patterns uh, of eating and eating when I was happy, eating when I was sad, eating when I was, uh, um, you know, going through, uh, some kind of struggle or trial or whatever. And I just kept eating. And, uh, even I remember as, as you, at a young age, I think it was in seventh or eighth grade, um, I remember my mom and dad must have thought I had a problem as well um, because my dad ordered uh, herbal life uh, for us. And so I was taking for like three or four days, I was taking, you know, you know, 15, 20 pills a day and then eating one meal at night. And my dad promised he'd do it with me because we needed to both change our lives. And and it lasted three or four days, you know, until I just couldn't gag down another pill and, and, and starving myself eating that last meal at night was just horrifying. So I struggled with eating um, for for most of my life after that third and fourth grade year, um, but again, not understanding how this how addiction works and, and all that kind of stuff, um, I just I did get to a point when I was in high school, I think it was my senior year, and uh, I remember um, I was I don't know I think I weighed two hundred and eighty pounds uh, at the time. I'm five five ten, so it kind of gives you an idea, or five ten and a half. I just say I'm 5'11", but reality is I'm about 5'10 and a half on a good day. So I was up to about 280 pounds, and uh, I had decided, I remember looking at myself in the mirror, and uh, I just, this is the thought that seriously came to me. I don't remember sharing this before with you, but um, I remember looking at myself in the mirror going, you know what, Mike, no wonder 
no girls like you, you, you are fat and you're ugly, you know? And I remember thinking at that point in time that I've got to do something to change this, right? And so you, again, when you look back at, at these things in your mind and the stories of your life and the things, experiences that you've had, it's weird how, how the dots all connect, right? Because I remember that day specifically. I, I remember the paint on the, on the wall in the bathroom. I remember what it looked like. I remember what I looked like looking in the mirror. And instantly, just like that, my mindset changed, right? Like it was a, no, I'm losing the weight. That's just the way it's going to be. Well, what I did is I started eating like 800 calories a day and I'd wake up at four o'clock. I mean, I was determined. And this was senior year in high school. I was determined I was going to lose this weight. So four o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, I would get up. I'd walk on the treadmill for 45 minutes. I would only eat 800 calories in that day, just starving myself. Well, I lost like 30 pounds, you know, in the first month and a half. But the big thing that I was not doing was facing that that food addiction that I had. I was starving myself, right? Well, I, I lost the weight. I think it was about six or seven months into it, I got down to about 220 pounds. Well, then I graduated and uh, it was probably that next summer when I was like, I'm going to take this to the next level. Well, I got into reading muscle and fitness magazines. I got into reading all the nutrition and stuff. And uh, I got up to the point where I decided I'm going to try this. I'm going to eat every two or three hours. I'm going to eat protein at you know first meal and I'm going to eat carbs this, the second meal and just keep rotating it around. I got to the point, Mike, where I was eating probably, I think I figured at one time, six to 8,000 calories a day. And I was running for an hour and a half in the morning. I would just take off running until I couldn't run anymore. So I'd run for an hour and a half. And then um, at night I would go and I'd lift weights. Well, I got down to 170 pounds and I was pretty, pretty ripped, but I was eating like a, again, not, not taking care of my food addiction I had like it was working out good because I was young enough my metabolism was okay and I was you know exercising and and eating supposedly the way the world looks at it I was eating clean right I was eating carbs and I was eating protein I was eating chicken breast tuna um, and then I would eat you know fat-free spaghetti noodles and I'd eat like a whole one pound bag of them at a time or whatever not understanding really that I was still feeding that addiction well sure enough I end up uh, after I got married, because of I wasn't taking care of that addiction, I ended up gaining uh, all the weight back. But then, as happens, right, I get older, that age starts happening, I start to end up uh, getting uh, pain in my shoulders, pain in my joints, and pain in my knees and everything. And then I injured my back lifting weights. And uh, that's probably, I think I was about 36 years old at that time, 35, when I started to take painkillers. And... Um, I just, I went to the doctor one time after lifting weights. I I had injured myself lifting weights before, like I had hurt my back, but it would always get better within a couple days. This one wasn't getting better. And uh, that's, it was about six months after I injured myself that I finally went to the doctor and said, hey, I think I need some pain. I just want to sleep at night. That's my biggest thing is I can't sleep. And I'll never forget this, Mike. He he gave me uh, two uh, five milligram uh, lower tabs or hydrocodones. And, uh, or, oh, sorry, he gave me a prescription for one at a time. Well, I took two the first night because I figured, you know, one's not going to help any. So I'm going to take two. Well, two didn't help any. So, and I was just mad because I wanted to sleep. So the next night I took four just because I wanted to sleep, right? Well, I took four and, uh, I ended up sleeping like a baby and I thought, this is amazing, right? Well, it did not take, and and again, looking back at, at addiction and things like that, it didn't take me long to, to graduate up to six, 
to eight and then upping the dosage you know to 10 milligrams or, or whatever um even percocets going up to fentanyl i mean it just it did not take long for me to, to get up there this is what i learned in uh in rehab though and i did not understand this and this goes back to the food addiction as well what i learned in rehab is that if you have um one side of your family look so let's say that on my mom's side of my family that they're alcoholics right and i'm I now I go take a drink or I get into um, painkillers or whatever like that. I have a five and ten, five out of ten chance that I'm going to be an addict. But if I have addicts or alcoholics on both sides of my family, I pretty much if I even if I've not touched, I never drank. I haven't done, didn't do anything like that until I'm, I was 36 years old. I think the last painkiller I ever had, I think it was it was in 2000. So this was about six years before I injured my back, and I had a shoulder surgery. And I just tell you like how I never took painkillers is that the doc gave me Percocets. And I remember about three weeks after I had the surgery, I had this night with just tremendous pain in my shoulder and it was pinching so bad and I was sweating because the pain was so bad. And I called him and I said, Hey doc, you got to do something, man. I, <laughs> my shoulder hurts so bad. I don't know what's happening. And, and he's like, well, do you still have those Percocets? I said, well, yeah, but they aren't helping any. And he said, we'll take two. Right. And again, I did not understand how this worked. Right. So I, I took two of them and I'll never forget this. It was the Florida State, Oklahoma National Championship game. And I remember watching that game by going, this is probably the most beautiful sport I've ever watched in my life. You know, I like it like just and but not make connecting the dots that that was euphoria coming from the pain medication. Right. So I just it never dawned on me. It's any of that kind of stuff. Well, you fast forward six years now and I start I'm just the only reason why I share that with you is because I wanted to share that I've I just never got into painkillers before anything like that so i started taking more and more painkillers to help myself sleep at night then i started change chasing that buzz you know i started going okay i you know this this feels pretty good at night when i sleep what's it going to feel like during the day <laughs> and so i started like doing you know that right so what happened is um i ended up i just i fell super fast i mean like it it did not take me long to go to six to eight pills um and everything but when i got into rehab that's when i learned like i said if you have both sides of your families have alcoholism or, or addictions, you have a nine out of 10 chance that you will be an addict as well. And so again, I did not connect any, any dots at all with my food addiction at all. And, um, I, I got out of rehab and it was very easy for me to not go back or trip back onto that painkiller addiction because I got my prescription from a doctor They I wasn't buying them off the streets or anything like that. And so I just, stopped getting prescriptions my problem was though is that my pain was still there and that was the thing that probably probably was was the worst for me right because i and, I, and now we've shared this stuff before but i'm just i'm telling you that when people would say to me mike don't you just feel better though that you're off of the painkillers and this would be six months seven months after i'd gone to rehab and it would trigger me, Mike. Like I would get so upset and I'd be like, no, are you kidding me? I took them for a reason. I need to take something for the pain. But me being angry at the universe and angry at the world actually drove me to help, help me deal with my, with my food addiction because I was so desperate to find relief. And I remember asking the counselors. I remember asking my doctor when I was in rehab and even right when I got out. I remember asking them, what do I do for the pain? 
what do I do? And, uh, and all the answers were the same. Sorry, I don't know. And so I would, I would look at these alcoholics that are in there, right? I would look at these alcoholics that are in rehab with me or even the heroin addicts, right? That I would look at them and go, you know, you guys have it easy, man. I'm like, you're chasing an alcohol or what? I mean, that sounds stupid. I don't mean that to anybody to see that. But this is what in my mind, what was happening to me when I was in rehab. I'm like, you guys are just alcoholics. I'm chasing this because of the pain. What do I do for the pain? And then to have somebody say, gee, sorry, Mike, I don't know. Um, that's a horrifying experience, you know, and because, because you know, like, okay, so I'm going to get out of rehab. How does my life change? I don't know, Mike, you're just going to have to learn to live with the pain. And so I was angry at the world, man. I was angry at the world for years, I think probably three years after rehab, like uh, any little thing would set me off. I was so full of rage. Uh, <laughs> they joke around about this all the time, but I would, you know, I was so full of rage. I would see the biggest guy in Walmart and uh, I would hope that he would try something so that him and I could go at it. I didn't care if I lost. I was just so full of rage. I wanted to take it out on somebody and uh, didn't really care who it was or how it was. And so it was, a, it was an emotional, mental struggle for me for a lot of years um, until, I, until I found uh, how to recover from food addiction. So right. it was crazy. Which I, I think something good for us to talk about there, like is that place of, because I, I think it, it cuts across the lines of addiction when you, and it's not, you didn't, well, how am I trying to phrase this? So you didn't start taking pills because you were initially chasing a high. You know, it wasn't like you heard taking pills was fun, so you were gonna t- you were gonna take pills. Like you were you started from that place of I'm doing this to take care of something. You know, to deal with this pain, to cope with this pain, and then to basically have them set you free from that coping mechanism, but not give you something in its place. You know, not give any. You know, not even, you know, not even say, okay, we know this is how to help people. You know, they knew how to help you with the addiction, but there still was no answer then for the pain you were dealing with. And I, I listen to that and I think about people that struggle with food addiction going from that place of they're eating food, you know, and it can be for an emotional reason. It can be for, driven physical by a, a biological addiction, you know, and I'm sure we're going to dive into that a lot when we talk about kind of coming out of your food addiction. But you're, you're eating the food for a reason. And so you stop eating the food. But the reasons usually don't go away. You know, unless, you're, unless there's some real work done there, those, those reasons you were turning to that coping me- mechanism don't go away. And so then you're left with, well, we helped you deal with the addiction. So good luck with what comes next. Right. Yeah. And that was super disheartening for me, you know, at that point in time. And, and I'm, I'm a realistic guy too, Mike. I understand, right. That everybody who listens to this podcast is not going to sit there and, and find relief from pain. Not all of them are going to find relief from pain and things like that. Like I had, um, you know, with, with the way I eat, but I just really believe there's so much correlation between what we put in our bodies and what causes that pain, which could trigger addictions, which could trigger, um, you know, bad eating habits. And, and it just, it ripples down into how we live our lives and, and what we do and how we treat others around us. It, it is, I'm just telling you, my eyes have been open completely to, to a whole nother world here in the last three years of, of, of dealing with this. It's, it's really been enlightening. 
So let's let's move. And I think there's some things on all of this that we're going to come back to. But I, I want to kind of get into, you know, continue into your story. So you came through rehab off pills, still in pain, and now dealing kind of with the emotional effects of that as well. Uh, where where did that take you next? So I basically I knew it deep in my gut, right? Because I was at two. I think I got up to three hundred and ten pounds uh, by this time. So I was out of rehab, and and I had actually lost weight when I was taking the painkillers, right? Because I found something else to cope with my emotional issues as well as my pain. And so I didn't have to eat as much as so I'm taking the painkillers to help. Out. So I got down to like 220 pounds at the time. Um, you know, I, th- I think I weighed 220 when I went into rehab. So I had gained or lost like 60 pounds. And uh, then when I got out of rehab, I just started eating again, again, finding that emotional support. But deep down in my gut, <clears throat> my fat gut, <laughs> deep, deep down in my gut, I knew that if I lost 80 pounds or 100 pounds that I would take pressure off of my joints, my shoulders. I'd take pressure off of the joints, my knees, and, and quite possibly my back wouldn't hurt anymore. And so I was like, I got to get serious about losing weight, right? So this was about January, uh, I think it was January 2018, and I had stumbled across um, intermittent fasting. And, you know, which intermittent fasting goes right in hand with uh, with keto with the keto diet as well so I, but i found intermittent fasting at first because keto sounded super extreme to me so i just figured i can eat within a small window i can i can eat for you know six hours and then fast for for 18 hours that it wasn't a, a big deal for me um i mean it, it, that's in my mind it wasn't a big deal but when i first started doing it it was a big deal that's tough when you're when you're a food addict and you just have to cut yourself off at six o'clock no matter what like and i i set hard fast rules that i will if it's 601 p.m I am not going to eat until the next day at 12.01. That's just the way it's going to be. I set these really hard, fast rules. It took me probably three months uh, to break the habit of walking into the house because the first thing that I would do when I'd walk in the house after a long day is I'd go right to the pantry, see if there's something to snack on, or I'd go right to the fridge to see. And and I watched myself right this whole time. And uh, it took me three months to break that habit of walking right to uh, right to the the pantry or right to the fridge as well but what happened was i started getting really good at intermittent fasting i started feeling really good on it and so i did i remember my first 24-hour fast and that i did um and i think i graduated up to like a 36-hour fast i started noticing that the longer i went without eating right so if i made it to that 27 28-hour mark my joint pain and my back pain would go down tremendously Right. And so I started thinking, I wonder if there's a correlation between the foods that I eat, because I would eat then, but I would eat whatever. I'd eat pizza. I'd eat, you know, whatever food was there. I'd eat it. And then within two or three hours, man, my back would just be killing me, going to be inflamed like crazy. My joints would hurt. I wouldn't sleep at night. And so it probably took me another month of asking questions like, why in the world do I feel like crap after I eat? (laughs) It doesn't make any sense, you know. And so I started looking up um, different things like, you know, does or do certain foods cause inflammation in the body? That led me to keto, right? So I started looking at keto and going, okay, maybe this isn't as extreme as I thought. Maybe my body, my metabolism is, or, you know, I'm metabolically so broken that uh, I do need to just have an open mind looking at, at keto, right? So I tried to do, I tried to do keto. 
Well, from in my experience, right, like I and and I know that you do a lot more keto than than what I do, um, but in my experience, just enough of those little sugars, even the the sugar alcohols and and stuff like that, would cause me inflammation. My back would hurt, my shoulders hurt. But the other thing it would do is it would trigger a binge. Like I was eating just enough sugar that I would keep my, my carb addiction um, going. I'd make about four or five days on keto really good. Now there's a lot of tweaks you can do with this, right? Like I know, and like I didn't eat enough fat. I know that. Like I probably could try to go back to keto, but um, what, what I'm doing right now works so well that I'm just really going to keep it like it is. But I probably wasn't eating enough fat and I would end up binging or whatever. And so what happened though is I, I came across a podcast where I, uh, a Joe Rogan podcast, we were talking about how this guy eats nothing but ribeyes and how he's 52 years old. He feels amazing or whatever. And, and I was like, that's insane. I mean, a keto sounded insane to me. Eating nothing but ribeyes every day sounded even more insane, especially as, as we, you know, look back on years of dietary advice, you know, eating red meat is bad for you. You're going to die of uh, heart disease, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, it sounded super extreme. But I was so desperate, Mike, to find uh, find relief from uh, from the the pain, you know, in my back and my shoulders. I was like, I, I'm I'm going to try it. I'm going to do it. And uh, within three days of starting, I, I just call it zero carb. In, in three days after starting zero carb, the inflammation went down dramatically. And uh, I, I think I weighed 250 at the time when I started zero carb. So intermittent fasting, I had actually lost about about 40 pounds by doing that in the first five or six months so it was probably about september of 2018 when i started uh zero carb and uh, within just like i said a few days i noticed the difference in inflammation within a few weeks however my body breaks down sugars or whatever it does um within weeks my my depression anxiety like lifted i mean it just there's so many changes that happened over that next six months that it uh, blew me away and i i thought it might be in my head right especially the anxiety and the depression stuff or whatever you know taking i went through eight eight nine years of of taking painkillers and so my testosterone level was shot because of narcotics my i was uh I didn't understand how narcotics destroys, you know, destroys your mental acuity. Right? So you become depressed as well. Like I didn't know that's, that's why it was so drastic to me within that three or four weeks after starting that I, I felt this like darkness that lifted from me. Like it was, it was almost physical enough to, I was like, what in the world is happening right now? I feel like I just took a painkiller. That's how good it felt. Right. And so, but again, it's just that way my body handles inflammation really. So I thought I might be um, just kind of exaggerating things. Right. So I started that zero carbon uh, in September of 2018. January of 2019, uh, my daughter had, I know this sounds really corny to talk about this, but it's so drastic to me that I have to share it. But my daughter had uh, uh, some cranberry juice in the fridge. And I just really love cranberry juice. Like it sounds really good right now, actually. <laughs> but the cranberry juice, uh, she, had sit, she had it sitting in the fridge and I was like, I'm going to try some. I was going to try half a cup of that, right? And because uh, I want to see if I really was exaggerating what I felt here a couple months ago or if I'm just chasing a dream that, that you know, it's all in my head. So I took a, just a half a cup of it, just a couple swigs. And within an hour, I, I felt fine. And I was like, man, maybe I was. I, I was just imagining things and it's that, you know, this is just dumb what I'm doing, eating zero carb. Well, it was two hours later that I was standing in the kitchen here. And I just had this, 
this is really stupid, but I had this paralyzing anxiety that came over me. Like I just stood right. I remember I was leaning against the stove and I started thinking like, oh, holy crap, I got to pay this bill. I got to, I got to do this. Like, how am I going to handle this issue? And, and, uh, I was, was just almost paralyzed with it. And I just felt this enveloping darkness everywhere. And, and I didn't say anything to anybody. And my wife comes in and she's like, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I just have this, this darkness over there. I have this crazy anxiety right now. And I had already forgot that I drank the cranberry juice. And this is, this is the part that I think is so insidious about our diets, right? And, and, and what we do. It's such a part of life that, you know, that, that cranberry juice, I had already forgot. Even though I hadn't had sugar for like, what, three months? Like on purpose anyway. This is the last time I hadn't had sugar for three months. I took this cranberry juice and I had already forgotten I drank it after two hours. And I couldn't figure out why I felt the way I did mentally. And so... And I told her, I was like, there's no way, there's no way that could have been the cranberry juice. Cause about three or four hours later, I went back to feeling that, that normal, you know, sense again, that Zen, I want to call it, I guess. So the next day I tried it again. I was like, I need to know if sugars really react this way to, for my body. Right. And so I took another half a cup of, of that cranberry juice and sure enough, two hours. And I was, I was back at that. I was just, just paralyzed. It seemed is the weirdest is the weirdest thing to figure out ever in my life, right? Because not only that, but also my shoulders hurt like crazy. My back was inflamed. I was popping ibuprofen those days. And I said, there's, why, how does my body do this? Like how, it doesn't make any sense to me, right? And this goes back to that part that we're talking about. Like, I get it. I understand people, there's people that can eat a lot more of the sugars and stuff like that. But if there's anybody listening to this, that's just struggling with, with joint pain, inflammation, arthritis, anything like that, just give zero carb a try even, and then work yourself back in, introducing foods back in that actually help, you know, that, you know, you can handle it, that your body's not going to, you know, react to. But it's just been a, a huge thing for me, a big experiment uh, for me to, to try. And it's it's changed my life incredibly. No, it definitely has. And I think that's one, I got I got I have to share a funny note to you first, that when you first told me the cranberry juice story, the last time we recorded, all I could think in my head was how when I was a kid, I always felt cranberry juice was punishment juice. Like I wanted, <laughs> I wanted fruit punch. I wanted orange juice. I wanted out. I always, and people loved cranberry juice. And I was always like, this is punishment juice. So when you tell that, you know, when you talk, even when you said, you know, thinking about it now is, you know, it draw your, it makes your brain <laughs> light up a little bit. I'm just on the inside. I'm laughing a little bit. Like I can think of nothing I would rather not have than cranberry juice. Yeah. So, but check this out. Check this out though, man. Like when I was a kid, cranberry juice was horrifying to me too so was grapefruit juice but i i I look back that now like i i mean i'm i'm just really thirsty right now so anything cold sounds really good i should grab some water but um but yeah that grape grapefruit juice and cranberry juice were were punishment for me too when i was a little kid but somehow i grew into it and i I loved it so (laughs) it's how we adapt and change but yeah that uh, that aside that aside about cranberry juice aside um I, I think this idea of the power of food is really something that we, we don't think enough about. Like, uh, it's this idea of the finding an anti-inflammatory diet, finding the things that your body is sensitive to, and finding that as a tool. And I, be, you know, before we even dive too deep into that, like, I think there's something powerful about your willing, you know, it, it speaks to not just your, your, your open-mindedness and your willingness, but also... To, to the place of desperation that you were at. Like you had seen kind of the depths of, of where pill addiction had brought you. 
You know, you also knew kind of what food was doing to your body. But it you discovered this this change, this zero carb way of life, almost by I don't want to not by accident, but by a different avenue than I need to think about weight loss. You know, it was I need to think about this this is if is this inflammation that I'm dealing with? You know, is that what is really causing this pain? And like you said, obviously weight loss is gonna help with with some of that as well. Not just the fact that fat mass on the body promotes inflammation, but you know, physical like physics, you know, in terms of, of pressure and pain. But it's not like when you first got started, the weight magically dropped away completely. Like you were, you were actually seeing a reduction in inflammation, which is, is speaks to that ability for us to realize that, yes, and, and I bring this up because it almost doesn't relate to your story, but it's a lesson out of your story. Because people talk a lot, you know, you've probably seen this on the internet, you know, the people that are very into that, if it fits your macros way of eating, you know, all you have to do is, is hit a calorie amount and no matter what food you're eating, you can lose weight. But there's so much more to food than just weight. There's so much more to what we put into our bodies than just changing the size of our bodies, the shapes of our bodies. You know, it's about this idea of promoting healing and the idea that by addressing inflammation, by addressing hormonal issues through food, you can do it without, you know, and I'm not saying it's everyone should just stop taking their medicines and, and change what they're eating and they're all, magically they're going to get healed. But I think there's something to be said about being willing to make some of that, like, and now I feel like I'm rambling, but what, I, what I'm trying to get at is, like, you, you talk to people, and, like, you talk about, you know, being zero carb, and there were people who would come up to you and say, well, you know, I'd love to do that, but I could just never give up X, Y, and Z, or I could never stop eating this, or I could never do that. And it's like, well, it's, it's that never that might be holding you back. It's that never, that it's that unwillingness to try that could be keeping you from something that could be life-changing. And that's what I think your story speaks to. It's this idea that you not you not just only, you know, looked into intermittent fasting, but then, you know, heard the podcast, heard them talking about Dr. Baker, you know, Sean Baker talking about, you know, his, you know, his carnivore ways. And you said, well, let me see what this does for me. You know, maybe it won't do anything. Maybe it will. But it was that willingness to 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 be mindful and to and that's why why I actually love the the cranberry story. Because I think that is something that even if someone isn't struggling with addiction, they should be thinking about when they're on, whether it's a weight loss journey or they're trying to become better at endurance athletics or whatever it is, whatever reason you're looking at making shifts in your diet, realizing that we have this incredible bio-individuality to us and our sensitivity to things can be different. So you can see what one person eats and eat exactly what they eat and not get the same results. But if you're willing to do some work to find what actually can help you, you can make some really powerful discoveries. Yep. And I think what you said right there is pretty powerful because if I look back at, at, at my journey, right, I got, I feel blessed. I feel lucky because all I wanted at first, I knew I needed to lose the weight, like you said, but all I really wanted at first is I just wanted to sleep without pain. I just wanted to be able to function through the day without the shoulder pain, the joint pain, things like that. So I was so desperate to find relief that, yeah, I was searching for anything. So when that podcast came along and I heard, um, you know, Dr. Baker talk about how he doesn't have any joint pain and all this other kind of stuff and he eats nothing but meat, I was so desperate to find an answer to that, that, that I jumped. And the thing that has become so passionate for me, especially 
and I'm going to probably even say in the last three months, it's become way more uh, of, of a passionate drive for me is the issue of addiction, right? And so I have a, a this just has happened in the last two or three weeks. I have a Facebook friend that, uh, you know, he's doing what everybody does, right? This is the first day of my journey. I'm going to start losing weight. I'm going to, I'm going to start exercising and things like that. And I sent him a message because he is super overweight. And uh, I sent him a message. And it's the same thing I always tell my brother too, who's still struggling with this. But I, I sent him a message and I said, listen, I'm, what I'm going to tell you right now is extreme. I don't know if you follow my posts on Facebook or anything else like that, but I said, I'm just telling you this. If you don't recognize right now, and I understand how this how this sounds on the outside. When I was taking painkillers, I had I didn't want anybody to tell me that I had an addiction. I would get you know like shut up. I can <laughs> I could quit any time if I feel like, even though I couldn't, right? But nobody wants to hear that. But I just knew with this guy that I was like, I've, I've got to be honest with him. And I said, if you don't recognize right now that you have a food addiction, you will not last very long in this journey. And I knew it sounded like super harsh, but in my mind, I'm sitting there going, that's the only way that it's helped me is to realize that I have an addiction. But we live in a society now where eating like crap is so freaking normal that they don't recognize that the addiction is real. And and so it's just, that frustrates, it, to me, food addiction and, and sugar addiction, carb addiction is so much more insidious than painkiller addiction to me. Because it's so readily available, you can get it anywhere and you can destroy your health, your body, your relationships with other people so quickly with food that it's it's woken me up to a lot of different things, Mike. And um, I think I'm even way more passionate this interview than I was the last time. But, but the thing that is so crazy to me is that I just look at it and think there there are answers. There are ways for you to overcome this and you do not have to be... Um, you do not have to be a slave to food anymore. You don't have to be at its beckoning call anymore. There's a way around it. And it's sad to see, right? Because I just know I've, I've seen the patterns, right? This guy, and I'll tell you this, this guy posted today. He's like, Hey, I just want to let everybody know this is day 19 of my, of my health journey. Um, I made it uh, up to this point, but I, I, I messed up yesterday. I ended up, I ate way too much. I feel horrible. And I, I, I emotionally ate, I binge ate, you know, whatever. And I'm just thinking to myself, you, you have no idea what you're dealing with, man. You are dealing with a monster that's going to eat your lunch because it's ate my lunch for 40 some years. And it's, it's going to eat your lunch too. You've got to listen to me. And, and I understand everybody's got to hit that point themselves. You know, where they're, they're just like with I do with painkillers, I had to hit the rock bottom, even though mine was more spite that I hated everybody for making me go to rehab. You still have to hit that rock bottom. And man, I just think once you open your eyes to the fact that you are an addict, that you have a problem, it's going to be so difficult to fix. Because you, if you're like you, Mike, or you're like me, that you, you can't moderate, our bodies aren't made to moderate. You know, we have to abstain. And in order to in order to move past that, now there are people that can moderate, right? My wife is a moderator. She can eat little bits at a time. You know, my kids are moderators. Thank goodness they don't take after me. They're moderators. But I have to abstain. If I don't abstain, I will I will go down so fast. That's the thing that scared me too, talking and this is interesting as well. When I went into the hospital two weeks ago, they they gave me a Dilaudid, you know, for the pain. And then 
they uh, they sent me home with hydrocodone, and of course I had family members that were like, "Oh my gosh, me's going to relapse. He's going he's not going to be able to make it, you know, and stuff." But what's interesting, right? When I'm in there for, with the Dilaudid, like I couldn't feel it. I couldn't feel the buzz because I was in so much pain. I just wanted the pain to go away, and so it did. Like I, it didn't affect me or whatever. And I still have yet to take a, a lower tab uh, from what the doctor prescribed to me because I'm just so adamant. But I I I'm so blessed because of this, Mike, that. I, I believe that the reason why I haven't relapsed with the painkiller, especially in the last couple of weeks, I believe that it's because I've overcome my sugar addiction as well. And I think that's helped because it's not firing those same, you know, I don't know what you call them, brain synapses or whatever, you know, that, that's, that's fine. And I think it's helped me to overcome that. And it's, it's so empowering to sit there and think to myself, I've overcome sugar addiction and I've overcome painkiller addiction. I still have a bottle with 20 pills sitting there and I haven't even touched them. And so I just, it, uh, I can't bear testimony enough at how freeing that is. And I think that's a big part of it is, is that there's, there's a lot of shame around kind of admitting to an addiction. We know that. Like, especially, well, here's the harder thing, I think, because one, there's a lot of people that just don't believe food addiction is real. You know, it's just, you. well, you like to eat. You know, that's what it is. You like food. We all love food. Why don't you just stop? You know, like there's a lot of that out there. Um, I think also, you know, like it comes down to a couple of reasons. Like one, it's that shame of, of having to admit to yourself that it is an addiction. And that's hard. That's a hard hurdle to get over. But I think also then here's, here's the thing I think that is really is harder for people especially dealing with food addiction, per, you know, specifically. And I, I think to some extent, you know, for alcohol and, and drugs as well. But when you admit that you have an addiction, then you have to start working on the addiction, not just the food. You know, like if if we could just follow a diet and and change, you know, especially those of us that, you know, have dealt with kind of like the, the, the morbid obesity, the super morbid obesity side of it, if it was just about food, and, and simply changing food, it would be so much easier for anyone to deal with. And it's when you're you're unwilling to even even in, even if it's not kind of embracing the identity of you know claiming the identity of, of of being an addict or having an addiction, dealing with the addictive behaviors means making changes in ways that scare people. I think it scares people because it's this idea. Because I think one of the biggest things like I hear when I do like initial coaching calls with people in consultations, it's you know, I, I want to make changes. I want to, you know, they even will say, you know, I have a, I'm addicted to sugar. I'm addicted to carbs. I want to deal with this. But I want to know that I can get to a place where I can, you know, eat them normally for, you know, later for the rest of my life. And it's, it's hard, but I always have to say that's not guaranteed to you. You know, that's not something that's guaranteed to you. The same way, like I've seen people who have problems with alcohol say, you know, I would love to get to the place in my life where I can just have one beer, you know, relax with friends and be fine. You know, um, you know, I can use I can use painkillers the way they're intended to be used and not have them, you know, become something that takes over again, like all of that, because I think it's this idea of when you admit to an addiction, you know, you're admitting to the fact that that addiction is always going to be there. Like they, they, that's the other question I think people say is like, well, can I cure this addiction. And I'm like, it's, I think that's the mistake in the first place is, is seeing it as something that can, you know, can be cured instead of something that can be managed and treated and, and worked through and adapted to. And, you know, it's, it's almost, it's to me, from my perspective, 
the idea of embracing it, you know, became freeing. Not because it excuses behavior, which is something else I've I've heard and dealt with with people where they say, you know, I don't want to say that I have a food I have a food addiction because then I'm absolving myself of responsibility. And I'm like, well, no, that's not really what you're doing. What you're doing is you're realizing that you have these series of challenges that there's ways to handle them that might be kind of outside of what you're thinking. Like it's not just about portion control. You know, it is about thinking about how you respond to different foods and what you can handle. And I talk to people about, you know, there might be some foods that you need to abstain from for the rest of your life. You know, and it's being okay with that is a hard thing, but it's also very freeing. Like it's realizing, okay, this is something that I just, you know, affects me this way. It's, it's, how can I phrase it? Like, if you knew taking a pill, like, that's the thing is why I think when we deal with, like, you know, a pill addiction or a drug addiction versus a food addiction, you know the impact that taking that pill has on you. And the, I don't, I, I think addicts who are kind of lost in their addiction will try to talk themselves into saying that it's not the pill doing it to them. You know, it's not causing that. But we know biologically medicines have a specific impact on our body. You know, drugs have an impact on the body. We don't want to think that about food. We don't want to frame food that way. We don't because we don't want to give the food up. You know, it's that idea. The same thing like why don't you when you when you know, like I've talked with, with someone about this the other day, you know, when I've had challenges and, you know, whether you want to call it relapses or whatever you'd like to say when it comes to food. And I talk to friends about it and they're like, well, why didn't you talk to me before you had that binge episode or you had that bad day or those bad days? Like, why didn't you reach out? And my response, you know, what I've come to the realization of was, well, because if I reached out, you would have stopped me. And I didn't want you to stop me. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yep. that's so it's it's that idea of accepting. It's, it's that idea of accepting yourself where you're at and how you are and how you respond to things and how different things make you respond. And then you can start to deal with them when you accept it for what it is, when you're able to identify it, because it's still leaving it as the, that's this unknown that you hope will change where you can just keep trying something new and keep trying something new. And you see that as well, you know, I'm going to try this diet now. I'm going to try that diet now. I'm going to try this diet now. Whereas we know that every diet works if you do it, you know, every diet works, but do they, does the diet give, does it help? Are you, are you addressing the physical side of things for yourself in the way that you best can? And finding that best way is, is a powerful part of these journeys. You know, it's a powerful part of that mindfulness is realizing if I eat X, this is what happens to me. You know, I can eat Y and Z all day long and be fine. But if I touch X, that's when I start to have a problem again. That's when I start to, you know, feel whether it's binge urges or lack of control or I get such a, a strong dopamine hit, you know, that, that food high that I don't want to stop. So having to come to that realization and admitting that out loud, admitting it not just to yourself but to other people is scary and powerful, but so I, I think for a lot of people, a lot more important than they realize. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, just everything you're saying right there, I it's making me think back to when I first got to rehab, you know, where I stood up and I said, hey, my name is Mike. I'm an addict, you know, and like I hated saying that because I didn't see myself as an addict, but I got so used to saying 
hey, my name is Mike, I'm an addict, that I, I went down two or three years when I started to realize, oh my gosh, I've got, a, um, I've got a food addiction. I've got another problem here. And so it was easy for me to recognize that I had that. And the thing that stuck in my mind constantly was, and, and I just, I love this so much, right? You remember the young man who goes to Socrates, right? And says, I want to learn everything that you know. And Socrates says, you know, meet me tomorrow at the river and I'll, and I'll teach you everything I know. And he, the young man meets him there at the river the next day and Socrates goes out in the middle of the water he beckons for him to come in he holds the young kid under the water keeps him there until he starts kicking and whatever and trying to get air and he pulls him back up and and he takes a big deep breath of air and Socrates says when you want to learn as badly as you wanted to breathe come back and see me right well that that had always been for 20 some years that story had always been there you know and and uh, you know and, and obviously if names are different whatever it doesn't matter the story is the same the principle is the same like did I ever reach a point to where I wanted to learn so badly how to heal my bodily my my body or whatever that uh, I wanted it like I wanted to breathe and so when I started researching this and saying I've got to find an answer to this because I cannot live the next 40 years of my life in this much pain and and knowing that it's going to get worse you know being told that Mike your bat your spine is so messed up it looks like somebody who's in their mid 70s right now because I destroyed it um, powerlifting for 20 some years doing squats deadlifting whatever it didn't matter on degenerative disease it just it I mean, it's just a mess everywhere. So in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way I'm going to be able to even function. I'm going to be in a wheelchair by the time I'm 60, you know, and I've got to figure this out. And to just basically look, research and anything after, after, I don't know, Google search, whatever it was, like I just started realizing things that all came in steps right like and i i feel completely blessed because it did come in steps going from you know rehab with the the, the painkiller addiction to finding uh intermittent fasting to finding keto then to finding carnivore like it all happened like it was supposed to do where i was able to control it but to then understand right when it, really when i woke up and this probably wasn't until within the last year that i was like holy crap i am a sugar addict i'm a food addict that became a painkiller addict i've got to start addressing those things that are making me the addict emotionally and things like that um but when you do like what i did which was the zero carb that helped with the depression helped with the emotional eating helped with all that stuff because it wasn't spiking blood sugar or spiking my blood sugar like i have to still be careful right like i love give me give me an example i love diet squirt but if i drink a diet squirt that has an aspartame in it i can't do probably more than two a day but if i drink drink that one i know that in an hour i'm going to be craving something i shouldn't crave and, and whatever it is that's in it you know it's just spiking it, it it's mimicking basically where my body is like preparing to have some kind of rush basically i think is what's happening like this is why i look at it anyway it took me probably six months uh to a year to basically go okay that i you know if if i'm hungry within an hour and i just ate two and a half pounds of steak <laughs> i'm probably not really hungry you know and so i so i just write out the craving now you know so i know that i can understand that now and i don't i don't end up binge eating or whatever but yeah, I just there's so many things that you just said there that 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 hit home from the standpoint of everything that I've done. I got lucky. I did it in steps. I understood it. But the biggest thing that I did was recognize that I had an, an addiction. And once I realized that it, it gave me the tools mentally that that was necessary for me to overcome that food addiction. And, and I think that story you shared 
the Socrates story, you know, about wanting to learn as badly as you wanted oxygen speaks to that, that you, you talked about, you know, people hitting, you know, addicts of all kinds hitting rock bottom. You know, it's, you have to want, and I, let's speak specifically to food addiction. You have to want the freedom from the food addiction more than you want the food. And I think that's hard. I think that's a really hard place to come to. And sometimes it takes people different avenues to get there. And that's why, like, when you were talking about, you know, your friend that you see going through similar struggles and wanting to be like, well, just, you know, you almost at times, you know, you want to shake people and tell them to do something different because you know what it did for you, but they have to find that way there themselves. Like, I think that's something that comes to when I talk to people about finding, like, I talk a lot about people finding their why, you know, like finding your why for wanting to change is really important. And often when I talk to people about that and they come back at me with what they think is their why and I say to them, I don't think that's your why and I need you to keep digging, you know, they can get frustrated and get mad and not be happy with that answer. Uh, But often, because like I've said to people, like wanting to lose weight is not a why. It's not a why. You know, there's a reason you want to lose weight and you need to figure out what that is. You know, what is the real driving force there? And that that leads to amazing discussions with people about feeling... They don't have access to life and to the world, and they're, don't, they're not being a parent the way they want to be a parent. They're not being a, a brother or sister the way they want to be a brother or sister. They're not contributing to their community, to their world, the way that they feel like they should be. And the, the food and the weight is a part of it, but it's got to be about finding that piece, that, that driving piece, that thing, that rock-bottom realization that you're keeping your this this is holding you back from being the person that you really want to be that you can start working on it and realize that you're not going to be that person tomorrow you know it's going to take time it's going to take and and i that it's why i wanted to i i think one of the things you talked about there was is really important is like uh, i don't have you ever heard of the whole 30 so the whole 30 is a paleo it's more paleo based like they don't even like using the paleo term but the at the core of the whole 30 it's an elimination diet you know, it's the idea. It's not just a weight loss plan. It's not any of those things. They, it's this idea of looking at how different foods and different types of foods impact you. So one of the big things that I think people miss in the Whole30 is that it's not just 30 days of following a specific way of eating. The most important part of the Whole30 is what comes next. That idea of proper reintroduction, proper testing, proper mindfulness around, okay, when I start trying to eat this again, does it flare things up for me? Am I starting to feel those cravings again? Do I start to like, am I, am I feeling those, those aches, you know, the aches and pains and the inflammation that, that I didn't even realize I had, which is another thing I think that happens, especially when people take away processed foods and carbs and, and heavy sugar, you, you, you think you're feeling good. And then you eventually realize what feeling good can really feel like. And you realize that it's a whole, it's a completely different thing. But I, I, cause I had this discussion with someone in the, you know, the, the store that I work in, the keto store that I work in the other day. And they asked, like they said, they're just getting started, you know, and I saw their arms filled with, you know, keto cupcakes and keto cookies and keto chocolate bars and all of that. And they said, what is your, you know, and I was talking about how I work as a coach and all of this. And they said, so what is your biggest advice to me getting started, you know, that, that I, you think I should try, you know, what is the thing you think I should really, you know, I want to get into this. Like, what is the thing I should really try to do? And I said, you're not going to want to hear this. And they're like, well, what is it? I said, I, I think you should try to go 30 days without any, anything sweet, anything sweetened, any artificial sweeteners, any natural sweeteners. Go 30 days. And they're like, and immediately there was this look of terror on their face. Like, wait a minute, I came here to buy all the sweet stuff that I'm missing. 
and now you're telling me I should get rid of it. And they were like, well, why? Why should I do that? I said, because you don't know how, you know, what, how attached you are to those things and how you feel about them until you take them away. And then you start to kind of process through that and you start to work through kind of how they actually are impacting you and how they are affecting you. And I think that's the thing there. You'll see it in the keto space and the carnivore space, all of these places where there are people that can use replacement products and can use, you know, keto baked goods and all of those things to, and have amazing success and not have challenges. And then there are people that do and can't figure out why they still live in this world of cravings and they live in this world where they just they still want to binge every day and they still want to feel the they still have the all those those same feelings and they don't feel that change and it's like hard to come to that realization where something that can work for someone else doesn't work for you and it's and the reason I'm rambling on it right now is cuz I want people to realize that it's okay to come to the realization that there are some things you can handle and there are some things that you can't and sometimes when you lean into figuring that out and actually start to work on it and actually start to admit that you have a problem with some things, that you start to actually feel what freedom is like. You start to realize, and that's the thing to anyone out there listening, because you know not everyone who comes on this show is keto or carnivore or any of those things. There's probably people listening that are following different ways of eating who all they think is when they hear the word keto or they hear the word carnivore, zero carb, is, well, that's so extreme, you know, that's too extreme. You know, I can't do it. I can't, you can't sustain it. It's extreme. You're surrounded by bread and cake for the rest of your life. You need to learn to live with bread and cake for the rest of your life. And I'm like, so is that like saying to, you know, an alcoholic, you're going to have to go to bars for the rest of your life. So you should just learn to deal with alcohol. You know, it, when you can give it that level of sincere honesty and importance is when sometimes you make you make discoveries and start to make real powerful change in yourself that you didn't even realize was possible. Yep. And that goes back to the thing what we've been talking about this whole time, which is if you could just recognize, open your mind up to say, you know, am I a food addict? Really? Am I? What do I do? What are my tendencies as a food addict? Do I get up late at night when my family's sleeping and sneak into the fridge to get food because I'm embarrassed that they'll know that I'm eating again since I just ate like four hours ago? Do I stop off at the, at, you know, at, at Subway, like I use this sort of, but do I stop off at Subway and get a foot long knowing that my wife has, has dinner ready for me in an hour? Like those, when we start looking at those, those addict tendencies, you know, do I, Every time do I stop at a, that I stop at a gas station, do I get a Snickers bar and do I get a you know a Red Bull or something like that for that rush? It, start looking at yourself. Start looking at the your 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 patterns of action. I think that's the biggest thing, right? But once you recognize that you are an addict, those tools start formulating automatically. And I think it, 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 once that, that switch just flips the right way and you start recognizing that you are an addict, that you have, that you have problems and I need to face those problems, you know, why did I stop at Subway to get that? Did I do it just because I'm stressed out about something else or did I do it because I was hungry? I mean, what really is it? It couldn't have been because I was hungry because I know my wife has lasagna sitting at home waiting for me, right? Why did I stop off to get that? I mean, you start realizing and recognizing that you, that you have a problem that you are an addict, I think that's when that window opens and you start to realize that I can I can do things to defeat this. And it makes no sense, Mike, whatsoever. It makes no sense that I eat nothing but basically meat and I feel incredibly free, right? To somebody else, that just that's ludicrous, right? Thinking that. But to me, like I 
I have never felt more free emotionally, spiritually, physically uh, in my life than I do right now. And I've been doing this for two and a half years. And you're talking about not, you know, being sustainable. That first time I lost weight when I was a senior is because I wanted a girl to like me. Right. That's really why I did it. But you're talking about. But later on in my life, it was because I realized that I was an addict. That it, and and it that's that's what changed it all, and I just think I hope that whoever's listening to this, whoever is, um, you know, struggling with weight or ups and downs, that realize whatever it doesn't matter. Once you recognize that you um, that you're a sugar or food addict, I just think that window opens up and you can start dealing with the real emotional problems with it. And I think, and that's not to say that every person listening is is an addict. But I think what, you know, we're really what we're getting at is this idea that if these are patterns that you're seeing in yourself or you're seeing behaviors that you can't identify or you're not sure where they're, what they're driven by, exploring that as a possibility, being open to that possibility can be the, can be the game changer. You know, that can be the thing that, that people need to think about. I, I do want to talk about something else that I, I think comes up for people when we think about, especially in your story, when we talk about, you know, identifying as a food addict, but also as a painkiller addict, you know, people love to rank addictions. People love to get to this, get to this place of, you know, well, my addiction's worse than your addiction, and this addiction is worse than that addiction. Like, you see it all the time. Like, you know, I, I think there's, there's pushback in the, in the community of people that deal with, struggle with food addiction, and, you know, because there's always the, well, you know, you could live forever without pills. But you couldn't live. You couldn't live forever without food. So which one is the more severe addiction? And I'm like, well, let's. One, I would love to just say, can we, can we not? Can we just admit that we all have rough challenges and all have really bad things to deal with, and not get into this place of ranking things? Um, but I, I think we do have a unique opportunity talking to you to think about, like, in terms of what you've been through. Which you know, do you do you think at all in terms of about that? In terms of which which addiction was a bigger challenge for you to overcome or do you think it all goes back to that place of cuz like the other the other idea i think that's out there is that when you have an addictive personality you know depending on whatever gets put in front of you is something you you could become addicted to so it's really more about dealing with some root issues uh, do you think about it at all like that does that make sense Oh, I 100% uh, think about that all the time. In fact, this is why I tell me like even in the last, uh, really the last three months, my eyes have been open even further with it. So I was listening to a podcast with this, uh, this lady, she's a, a food addiction expert, right? Her name is Bitten Johnson. Now follow her on Instagram. Just, uh, I mean, the interview that she gave was like unbelievable because it was me to a T. I mean, she talked about how she uh, went, went into rehab for alcoholism in the eighties or whatever. And she when she was in rehab, and she's a registered nurse, I think she's from Switzerland or something, but she, she was talking about when she's in rehab, how she was in with uh, anorexics, she was in with food addicts, she was in with all these other addicts, and she asked the, the doctors, like, why, why are these anorexics here? And they said, because well, they're all dealing with the same thing. They're all dealing with the same addicts, right? She said, she goes, I actually, same addictions, I mean, same type of mental addictions. And so, um, she said, I forgot about that years down the road. And it was probably about five or six years later, I'm back, you know, in my practice and everything. And, and uh, she read this, uh, read this book called The Hidden Addiction, where it was talking about how we basically, as a society in, in the world, not just in our country, but in this, in, in our societies in the world, we have 
started almost every one of us, starting as little kids, have set ourselves up to be addicts, period, because of the sugar that's in, in processed foods. And so she, this book was called The Hidden Addiction. And so the message that Bitten had, which totally opened my eyes, she said, she said, if you are an addict, I will guarantee you that you were a sugar addict before you became an alcoholic, that you were a sugar addict before you became a drug addict, that you were a sugar addict before a heroin addict. She said, it doesn't matter. I will guarantee you that's what it is. And so she's just on a mission now to stop people. So I used to think that painkillers was worse, but I just think that food addiction is worse because it's like, I just keep using that term. It's so insidious. It's everywhere. It's in everything. It's part of our society. It just... Like it's who thinks think about this, right? Who in their right mind would go up to somebody seeing somebody shooting some heroin and go, Hey, could I have a piece of that quick? You know, I mean, those other addicts would, right? But but that sounds disturbing and disgusting to, to any normal person looking at it going, like, There's no way I could do that. That's that's horrifying. But you know, hey, let's have a birthday cake. So and so's birthday's today. Let's have a cake, you know, and you're like, and it's just a normal thing. I think that makes it worse. I think having food addictions make it worse. And you're right. Not everybody listening is going to have a food addiction. But but those, you just have to learn that, you know, if you are, like I said, you're a moderator or an abstainer. I have to abstain in order to keep peace in my brain. I have to. So it's just weird. I, it's a kind of a fun little conversation <laughs> to have with everybody. But yeah, it just, well, because it's really like, interesting to me. Imagine, like, can you, you wouldn't see someone talking to a heroin addict and say, well, couldn't you just have a little and be okay? You know, or it's grandma. It's grandma's birthday. Can't you just shoot up a little bit for grandma? Like, but we do that. We do that to people that deal with food addiction. You know, we say those, and I think that's the message for the people out there that have someone in their life who deals with these issues. Is realize that unintentionally, you you can be poking at them in ways that you're not even thinking about. You know, you can be doing. You know, like saying, "Oh, do I have to make it?" You know, "Oh, you know, we have to make something special for you, or we have to do this, or we have to do that." Like. I and I one I I think that's something that isn't as big of a deal as people think. Like I, I talk a lot with people when you know one of their biggest challenges, especially when they're they're trying a new way of eating, is you know how do I how do I handle family events and how do I handle this? And it's like, well, your family loves you and wants you to be healthy and wants you to be there. So if you have to say to them, I'm not going to eat this at that event, or I'm going to bring something, or if you're making this, can you make sure you you know mine doesn't have the like I've you know I've said it before. You know, if you're making barbecue, you know, something barbecue, can you just not put the sauce on it for me? Like, can you do that? And the people that understand and care, it's not a big deal to them. Like, it really isn't. You know, it's not like it's it's not like they're like, well, you know, you're ruining my you're ruining my, my barbecue ribs by not letting me put my special sauce on it for you. It's like, no, they understand, you know, that you're doing things to take care of yourself. But you're right. Like, I, I think it is something for people to to consider, you know, what the, the impact of the insidiousness of it, like the fact that, and this is like, you know, something I, I talk with uh, for some, again, I keep saying all these things I talk to my clients about, but, you know, we talk about ease of access now, you know, when it comes to these, you know, it comes to these hyperpalatable foods and these things that work against us, like foods that are designed, you know, there are people that are food scientists who their job is to not just make you enjoy the food when you have it, but make you want that specific food again. You know, they, they look for those, they, they measure factors that, you know, are repeatability. Like they want customers to not just have a Coke and a smile one day, but to come back and buy another 12 pack the next day to make sure they still have, they always have their Coke available. 
Oh yeah, like, you don't think that that they're formulating those stinking nacho Dorito chips, you know, to taste the most amazing thing you can, so you come back and get them again the next day. Yeah, absolutely, they do that. Absolutely. So I, you know, like it's just that idea of if it, these are things that you you struggle with, or you find, or even to anyone out there who is realizing that you know they have there are there are foods that they respond to that way. You know, give it some thought. Get, think about it. Think about what might, what benefit you might have if you take some of those things away, and take a risk on yourself. Like, take a, you know, be willing to challenge yourself to to life without something before you decide in advance that you can't live without it. And which I, I think speaks to all addictions. You know, like someone who feels that they can't live without alcohol has to have hope that they can before they can be without it. You know. A food addict has to understand, like I, I've said this a hundred times on this podcast alone, you know, when people say to me, are you never going to eat cake again? And I'm like, it's not about whether I eat cake again or don't eat cake again. It's about me having to ha understand that I can live without cake and live a happy, thriving life without these things. Like I can be, I can be satisfied. I can feel good. You know, I don't have to have that food to feel like a whole person. It took me probably six months, you know, and, and I kind of, I like the fact of going to family gatherings and saying, hey, I brought my own rib, I'm going to make it, you know, instead of eating what you guys eat and stuff. I kind of like to see the reactions in people's faces. So I embrace that, you know, I embrace that whole deal. But the thing that, that really is, is interesting is that it took me probably six months to to really get to that level to where I wasn't going to miss something anymore. And And the biggest reason why that is, Mike, is because of the way I felt physically like i like literally food is my medicine and so when i eat that meat i know that i'm not going to be inflamed within two hours i know that my joints aren't going to ache i know i'm going to sleep through the night if i don't eat after six o'clock at night you know i now understand my body so well that if i and, and i'll give you a perfect example of this probably about an hour and a half ago like I would get, I don't know if you eat very much of that Rebel ice cream or whatever, but I can't eat very much of it I, I because whatever's in it, you know, causes my joints to hurt. So if I eat it, like one of those little tubs lasts me probably a month because I only eat like two or three scoops of it at a time because of how awful I feel. Now, if it didn't affect me, right, if it didn't affect me physically and emotionally or whatever, then I'd probably eat the whole tub in one sitting because that's my food addiction, right? But but I, I realize that I'm blessed in the standpoint that if I eat two or three bites of it, I'm not going to hurt. <laughs> I'll be okay. And I can still kind of get that, that little treat, you know, but I don't do that very often. In fact, I I got a new tub like three days ago and I just took my second tablespoon of it here just, uh, just a little bit ago, just because I wanted something sweet in my mouth. But I, I just know that I can't do very much of it. And so it helps me in my mind, like, and that's going back to your whole 30 conversation, right? Which is figure out what foods do to you, you know, do the elimination diet, figure out what, what, you know, different foods are doing to you and then, and then deal with it, you know, like learning about spinach and turmeric, which I used to take turmeric like crazy because of my pain. Like people are like, oh, you need to take turmeric and, and all this kind of stuff. But turmeric is super high in oxalates now that, I, that I've researched it, like an Oxalates are horrible for your joints. You know, eating spinach and, and like I see people eating spinach smoothies. I'm like, oh my gosh, that just sounds painful <laughs> to me. Because if they eat spinach or whatever, I love spinach, but man, I, there's no way I could eat it because of what it does to my joints. Like you just have to start realizing what what's what is the food or what are the foods that are causing you the pain and discomfort and abstain and just eat the rest, really. 
So, and especially if it helps with your addiction, it's twofold for me. It's the addiction and the pain, um, you know, but I, so I have to be careful. Which I think, you know, brings us kind of full circle to the, the main kind of lesson of your journey was figuring that out and, and finding freedom through figuring that out. So I, I just really want to, want to thank you for opening up and kind of taking us into this road that you've been on and will continue to be on, man. Like I, I just really uh, am appreciative that you're willing to talk frankly about what you've been through. So Mike, is there, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure that the, the audience hears? Uh, not today. I'm sure I'd come up with a lot of other different things, but no, we're good for today. I think. Well, one, I promise that people are going to hear this. So that's awesome. But one of the things that might come out of them hearing it is they want to follow along on your journey or even reach out and talk to you about what they've learned on theirs. So where do people find you? I am at zero carb dot roofer on uh, Instagram. There we go. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes today, of course, for everyone. Mike, one of the things that I end every interview with, and you've been through these before, but so you're going to probably have your answers ready, um, is the Fat Guy Five. Those five questions that I ask every guest. And don't forget, I mentioned this on the last episode, that I am going to be letting my Patreon followers decide what the new Fat Guy Five are very soon. So if you are not subscribed on Patreon... Even, you know, there's low levels. It's not that much, but it helps keep the show going. Uh, the Patreon money every month is actually what pays for the hosting of the podcast and keeping these materials coming out to everyone. So if that is something you're interested in, check that out at patreon.com slash keto, and you can be a part of deciding where the Fat Guy 5 goes in the near future. But first, let's take Mike through the original 5. Well, I guess it's version 2.0 anyway, but the, the current version of the Fat Guy 5. And we'll start with question number one, Mike. Tell us, living or dead, who is your favorite fat guy? Uh, John Candy. That's an easy one. Mm-hmm. I like it. That's always my favorite answer. So we're going to just move on to question number two before anyone tries to chime in with other names. Uh, I mean, it's only you and me, but you never know when someone could come running off the street and yell. Uh, question number two, Mike. So what is, you know, I'm going to ask this question, frame it a little bit differently for you this time. You know, normally I ask what's one lesson being a fat guy has taught you. But Mike, what is one lesson being a food addict has taught you? Uh, I think the biggest thing that it's taught me is that uh, <laughs> is that it can be controlled. That there there's hope. There's a way out. I mean, I I lived in years and just lived for it with years or in years. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but for years, for years, I lived in this situation where I thought there's no way out. I'm going to always be fat. I'm always going to be, um, you know, hurting or whatever. And, and it, I felt trapped and I felt in prison or whatever. But I just I think the biggest thing that I learned is that looking back at it now is there's always hope. There, there's hope. It's there. Like you just have to admit that you have, that you have an issue. There we go. My question number three, what is one thing that a person can do today to help themselves get started? I mean, I've said it many times and I think it's the biggest thing, Mike, and that's the fact that you have to recognize if you were the same boat as me, if, if you were looking for ways to, to score your next meal and you were sneaking around to get it or whatever and doing things in secret, you have a food addiction problem. So recognize that you have a, a food addiction. That's the very, very first step. And once you realize that, embrace it and internalize it, your life is going to change. Love it, man. Question number four, Mike, what is something about yourself that you love? I love that I love life now. I mean, every day I wake up and, and uh, I look forward uh, to just 
going through my day. Man, there's so many years, Mike, where I didn't like that. I, I think that's the biggest thing that I love now. I love waking up every day. That's awesome. And question number five, Mike, what is one goal you have for the next year that is not health, fitness, or weight loss related? Uh, we talked about this in our last uh, interview, but I still hold the same goal, and that is I I made some business decisions and life decisions in the past 15 years that crushed me financially. And so this whole next year is going to be focused on getting out of debt and climbing myself out of that. Now that I've accomplished the, the physical and emotional side of it, I need to take care of the financial side of it. So, Well, I, I have no doubt that that's another, another challenge that you will tackle with success, man. And I wish you the best with that. And I do want to highlight that you are zero carb roofer, um, that I come from a roofing family. We didn't even talk about it this time at all. We barely <laughs> scratched it last time. We didn't talk about it this time, but I, it, it's almost like when you, when you talk about aches and pains, I can see people in my family dealing with so many of them that aren't even related to powerlifting and are more related to bundles of shingles and oh, yeah. insulation and all of those things. So um, let's, if anyone else out there is, is a roofer and wants to come on the show and talk, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so Mike, I, I just want to say a big thank you again for being willing to come on the show again, share your story with everyone. And I know that someone out there is, is going to find some inspiration from that and find that hope that you were talking about. Thanks, man. I enjoyed it. It was fun. And if anyone else out there wants to connect with me, you can also find me on Instagram at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can connect with me on Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. Or if you want to talk about coaching, whether it's just from a weight loss perspective or from that holistic mindset approach that I work on with a lot of people now, you can find that at theketoroad.com slash coach dash Mike. And also don't forget that we just released that new kind of do-it-yourself keto PDF, the Build Your Keto Road that is out there for under $40 to help you start to work on building a sustainable ketogenic lifestyle for yourself. And you can find that also at theketoroad.com. So thank you, my friends, for joining us. Go out there today, do something to amaze yourself because you are the most amazing people I know. And then come back and catch us again on the next Fat Guy Forum. Mm-hmm.